Welcome to Neighborly. Date night. House number 19, Little Street. The house that is tucked away behind the front wall tiled with the number 19 seems orderly and neat, with nothing glaringly exceptional or out of place to garner the ire of Little Street's more scrupulous residents. But if you look closer, much closer than anyone cares to, you might notice that house number 19 is not a house that is loved by its owner. But its untidiness whispers, a cry for help fallen pathetically flat on its face. The garden has been left to grow wild, but the plant dominating the square of ground is a short and spongy moss, which could not be unruly even if it were conspiring with the whole exterior to try its damnedest. The brick is so uniformly grey it doesn't even register as dirt. Even the weeds peeking up between the cobblocks stoutly refuse to be dramatic. It appears at a glance to be attentively kept and a glance is more than most neighbours give it. Evidence of its resident is not often seen. It is rare to catch her coming and going, as she is up rather early in the morning and does not arrive back until late into the night. She would certainly loathe to let her neighbour see a window lit up yellow after dark. Especially recently, there was something lacklustre about the house itself that might reflect the sombre turn in the resident's mood. Its vibes are off. But even before this turn, she was not one for guests. Her neighbours were most acquainted with her behind the cold, glassy expanse of the butcher's counter, and she much preferred it that way. But every evening, at about the time when a person who wanted to go home might close up for the night, Sam McAdams got a customer. It was reasonable for her to be laid in, as she worked full days in the Sweet Tooth Confections and Bakery Shop next door. Her name was Kira, and she wore an apron embroidered with mushrooms and chewed off the skin on her lips so that they might have bled. Seeing her do this made Sam worry, but it felt hypocritical to comment, since Sam tended to chew the inside of her cheeks to the point of ulcers. Each day, Kira would come in and crouch by the discount section in the standing fridge opposite the counter. It contained the cuts of meat that were too unpopular to take up space in the counter display case. She would pick out some offal and bring it up to the counter. Her silence was not awkward. It appeared that every time she came into the butcher's, she just so happened to be lost in thought. Sam knew from some of her own failed attempts that baking was more of a science than an art, but she had been next door. She had seen Kira's knack for decorating cakes how she could make them seem subtle and elegant or eccentric and loud. She went in in the mornings, at least twice a week, to buy bread for the sandwiches. She'd even tried to work out Kira's schedule so that she might chance upon her when the cakes were in the oven and the shop was filled with the most delightful aroma. Kira would come out and serve Sam, delicately brushing the flour off her brown hands onto her apron. When Sam was in the bakery, Kira was much more chatty than in the butcher's. She greeted her warmly and thanked her for her patronage 
and exchanged the most politely non-speculative of gossip. Sam, the other day the biggest helium balloon I've ever seen floated out of my neighbor's garden. It was blue. I had a customer tell me if you've seen them, the sweetest couple, come in and buy everything they might need for a picnic. Very Parisian choices. You would have hardly guessed there was a storm last night. It was dead silent. But on my way in this morning, I saw a few scorched and even fallen trees. I heard talk of it on the radio. Kira had the radio running every time Sam had been in the bakery. It was never the same show twice. Classical music would be replaced by spirited political chatter, would be replaced by audio drama, and so on and so forth. The fact that the bakery was rather lively even when Kira was alone in it made her silence in the butcher even more marked and strange. All this to say that even though the silence was certainly never awkward, it was still rather relieving when Kira spoke one day after paying for her thrifty bag of offal. Sam, we have been neighbours at work for a long time. Sam murmured in agreement that it had indeed been a while. I didn't know that we were neighbours at home, too. Sam responded to the revelation with a characteristic, huh. Kira turned sheepish. I don't mean to be nosy. It's just on my walk to work, I like to put my headphones on and listen to a podcast. My commute is my me time. And I supposed you might have felt the same when I realized it was you under the coat I saw walking in front of me up past number one Little Street. So I didn't say hello, but you live on Little Street, don't you? I do, said Sam evenly, but not at number one. Oh, don't worry, I know. I know Dorothy and her family somewhat well, she assured softly. But stop me if this is intrusive, but I was wondering if I might come over sometime. Since we are neighbours, after all. I have lived on Little Street for many years. I'm on the Homeowners Association, and have always been very involved with local goings-on, and I had no idea we were neighbours. Sam felt herself flush. I'm usually busy. Oh, goodness! Kira covered her face, mildly mortified. I really don't want to be rude. Let me begin again. I'd like to get to know my work neighbor better, and now that I know that we are home neighbors as well, it seems destined. So, though I know you are very busy, I think it might be nice to visit each other. Oh, said Sam. And then... Yes, that sounds nice. You could, uh, come over. Maybe tomorrow night? The words slipped out like she was practicing them in front of a mirror, and she felt an icy horror creep up her spine when she realized she had actually extended the invitation aloud. It felt incredibly bold. Sam did not relax, even when the smile creased the skin around Kira's cheerful summer night eyes. It's a date. Oh, <laughs> well, you know what I mean. I'll text you after I've had a look at my schedule. Sure. Bye. The doorbell chimed as Kira disappeared with her bag of offal into the rapidly darkening evening. See you later. Luckily, the next day was Sunday. The butcher shop was, in theory, closed on Sundays. In practice, that was often not the case. But that's what it said in the opening hours sign in the door. So if any disappointed customers came to check, they would have nothing to complain about. First thing Sunday morning, Sam pulled down the stairs to the attic. 
She took down all manner of broken, rusted, and filthy chains and coffin-sized wire mesh cages and loaded as much as would fit into the back of her van, parked close to the front door to avoid the neighbors seeing. It took three trips to move all of it to the storeroom at the butcher's. She then went into the room beside hers, the walls and floors still stark, with a bucket of sudsy water and a variety of cloths and sponges and steel wool. Some of the stains proved to be very stubborn. She cursed as some overzealous scrubbing resulted in a nasty scrape, pushing a thin flap of skin back on her thumb. While she was patching it up, her phone rang. Language. What? I can hear you from all the way over here. There's really no need for that kind of vulgarity. Sam groaned away from the receiver. Good morning, Mrs. McInerney. It would be a good morning if we could have some peace. There are almost twenty houses in between yours and mine. How am I the issue? None of them are quite so uproarious as you this early on a Sunday. It sounds as though you are arming yourself to storm the Bastille. Nervous, Dorothy? Hardly. I have more important matters to be concerned with. Everything must be just right. Speaking of, you still owe me. There was a pause. Is that really at the forefront of your mind? Don't patronize me. Agatha won! Sam's voice threatened to break, but she said it herself. So you owe me. That was the deal. I would have thought you would need more time to grieve. I wouldn't be so callous as to- Can you pay or not? She scoffed. If that's how you feel, you will have a full sum in your account by tonight. And that's it. That's it. No more exotic meats. Another pause, the longest yet. It seemed to pour out of the phone and poison the air with its hooks. I couldn't begin to imagine what you could possibly mean by that, dear. I think you know. Can't a neighbor ask another neighbor for favors? Typically, in mortal society, favors are a two-way street. There was a careful diplomacy to the way Dorothy chose her next words. And there's nothing else you want? Sam sighed. Maybe one thing. What might that be? Leave. Me. Alone. Sam hung up. She caught her breath. The phone buzzed in her hand. There was a text from Kira, telling her that she was free about 6pm if that was okay. Sam sent a reply that that was perfect, and telling her not to rush. And then she remembered she hadn't actually told her the address, so she sent that too. Her phone buzzed again immediately. Sam's heart dropped when she read it. It wasn't Kira. Are we permitted to patronize our local butchers? She left it on red. Her stomach was such a confusion of churnings that she left the phone down while she finished up the cleaning. Just to be certain, there would be no other news or calls to set her heart bursting in yet more directions. After scrubbing out the room, Sam took up an armchair from the sitting room to make it look less bare. Somehow, it had the opposite effect. Sam considered taking the remaining innocuous clutter out of the attic and establishing this as a junk room, but she considered which type of person did she want to appear to Kira as. Someone who had a room full of clutter and nothing else, or someone who had an empty room in her house. It was probably better to go with the latter. And, if asked, it wouldn't be a lie to say that she used to have a housemate, up until very recently. And now she had a spare room. That was true, and was a perfectly normal explanation. Never mind that even without specifics, it still made Sam's chest lurch and her eyes water to even think about it.
She splashed water on her face and took a breath. Outfit and dinner. Outfit and dinner. She had enough time to sort those, and she should start now. She was a passable cook, heating up oil and fresh herbs and cutting bell peppers and other veggies to mix into a stir-fry for the vegetable part of dinner. She warmed up some garlic bread from Frozen, remembering too late that Kira was a baker and might say something. Sam cursed herself for not buying fresh bread. And then briefly pondered if that would have been more embarrassing, buying dinner from your dinner date. She shook the thought from her mind. Too late now. Too late now. At the very least, she had the meat locked down. Two decadent ribeye steaks that she'd be able to cook when Kira arrived so that they could be freshly done however she liked them. Which, Sam hoped, was rare. She was a far less confident dresser. When her caring duties had eaten what little free time she had, her wardrobe had wilted in the absence of any occasion to impress. When it wasn't a fire hazard to leave the food unattended, Sam stared into her wardrobe, running her hand through her close-cropped hair. What was the dress code for this evening? If she went too formal, would that be intimidating? If she was too casual, would that be overly familiar? What clothes might be seen as presumptive? How could she make an outfit appear both not boring and non-threatening? At some point, she reminded herself not to put too much pressure on clothing. It was just going to be dinner with a neighbour. Friendly. Casual. Nice. No expectations. She went with a nice button-down and dark blue jeans. Casual enough. Formal enough. For whatever this might turn out to be. Just dinner. Just dinner with a neighbour. Six o'clock was fast approaching, and Sam set the table. She put the stir-fry and garlic bread in covered dishes to keep them warm. She double-checked the steaks to confirm that they were, in fact, still there. And she checked the clock. She tried to think of what she might be missing. Her blood ran cold, and she jumped up. What was she thinking, having someone over? It was too dangerous. What was she going to do about Dale? Sam dialed Kira's number and realized what she had forgotten just before she picked up. Hey. Hi, Sam choked. Everything okay? <clears throat> yeah, everything's just fine. Just wanted to make sure we're still on for six? Yeah, in fact, you've called it a good time. I can come over now if you're ready. No, no rush. Take your time. I just wanted to make sure I didn't forget anything, I guess. Oh, okay. I'll see you in half an hour then. Great. Bye. Bye. Ugh. She didn't have to worry about Dale anymore. Because they were... they were gone. Kira arrived. Sam took her coat. She was wearing an interesting but understated dress, and gave Sam a selection box of chocolates. I would have brought wine, she explained, but something told me you weren't the type. Sam smiled sheepishly. You were right, I don't drink. Neither do I, and uh, I don't have much of an appetite either. I probably should have said before. I hope you didn't go to too much trouble. No, no, that's fine. And it really was fine. A lot less pressure on the limp vegetables and soggy garlic bread. Whatever's comfortable. They moved to sit. So, Kira began, have you lived here long? Not really. We moved in about four years ago now? Hmm. Kira served herself an extremely modest portion of the stir-fry. How about yourself? 
Oh, she chuckled, I've been here for what feels like forever. Put a lot of work into, you know, the local homeowners association. We used to have a huge magpie problem. Had to cut down some fruit trees. It was utterly tragic. But there are a lot less magpies around now. Less? Sam was incredulous. She chuckled. You didn't see what it was like before. The birds now are hardly a problem compared to what they were. Oh. Kira smiled passively, seeming to enjoy the moment. Sam felt discomfort in the vacuum of silence regardless. I probably wouldn't have noticed anyway. <laughs> I'm a bit of a shut-in. So I've learned. And a workaholic too. You're never not in the butchers, are you? Kira poured a glass of water from the jug. Must be lonely. Sam jumped up. Oh, the steak! She went to the kitchen counter. Kira looked over at her, bemused. Sam retrieved the steaks with a flourish and a goofy smile. How do you like yours? Kira giggled. Okay, don't judge me. I'll make no promises about that, she joked. All right, all right. Blue rare. Sam fired up the grill. Good, she muttered. In a little over a minute, she returned with two perfectly cooked and well-seasoned blue rare steaks. Kira ooed and aahed appreciatively at the lovely spread, but just before she was about to dig in, she hesitated. Who's we? she asked. Sam's blood stilled. Pardon? Before, when you said you moved here four years ago, you said we. Do you have a housemate? I used to. Sam reminded herself that she didn't have to lie. She could just omit the stranger details. What happened? They're gone. Kira put her knife and fork down and studied Sam's face. Sam felt a bead of sweat well up on her nape. Were they... an important person? Sam nodded without really thinking. Please, don't feel you have to, but something tells me you want to talk about it. Kira's hand moved towards her on the table. Sam's head swam. There was a long second where Sam fell into Kira's dark eyes. They were warm and comforting, full of care and free of judgment. They were honest eyes, seeking honesty in return. Sam had never told anyone this story before. Something about this woman with her straightforward sincerity and her genuine interest sparked in Sam an inkling of something. So she began, as is often, though not always the case with stories, at the beginning. A while ago, when I was working and living somewhere else, closer to the city centre, I met this kid. Their name was Dale, and they were about 13, 14 years old when we met. Their parents had kicked them out when they came out of the closet, but the way they told it, their folks had been looking for an excuse to get rid of them ever since they started showing mental health symptoms, which was, like, depressingly young. They clocked me as queer pretty much instantly because look at me. And through them being endearingly pushy and me being easily endeared, I sort of became their lesbian mama bear. They moved into my apartment and we got by with just my income because despite their protests, I wanted them to keep up with school. I paid for online classes and city rent, which meant a lot of working hours. So I didn't get to spend much time with them while we lived there. So I never got to know specifically what happened that gave them this terror. This bone-deep, shivering fear of dying. All sorts of death, not just like getting murdered or getting sick, but also peaceful death. 
natural causes. It plagued their mind and stole hours out of their day, but like, there's not exactly anything you can do about that, right? Everyone dies eventually. I would try and comfort them by telling them they were still only a kid, that death wasn't a pressing concern, but it didn't help. I don't really think it was about running out of time or not living a full life. I think it was death itself. What it would feel like and then what happens after. Uncertainty, generally, was never something Dale was good with. The fact that the most uncertain thing in existence was also the most irreversible, I think, is what scared them. I was worried about their worry. I wanted to get them help. I started putting some money aside week by week, and I told them that I would find someone who would help with that fear. And they seemed happy with that, and even told me they were also looking. But I think we had different ideas about what that help would look like. Sam stopped. Kira nodded for her to continue, but she realized that this explanation only made sense in the context of the strangeness. She felt stuck. Kira seemed to recognize this. So they were looking for a way to not die. Sam nodded, and they thought they found a way. Sam shook her head. I don't really know what happened. Like I said, I was working long hours. I came home one day and they were sick. Really sick. I tried to ask what happened. It looked like someone had drugged them. They weren't coherent, they were saying all sorts of... It didn't matter. I didn't know what they'd taken, but I figured since they were still conscious, they'd sober up eventually. They would have killed me if they'd woken up in a hospital. Death hotels, they used to call them. I didn't want to do that to them. And I didn't want them to get in any trouble, in case it was the weird new drug the news was following at the time. And I didn't want them put in the foster system. They were about 17 at this point, so it was still possible. So I didn't call for help. I got them some water, I checked on them every five minutes until they fell asleep. And then I went to bed. They didn't get better. Not that day, or the day after that. I think if I could go back, I would have just brought them to the hospital. I'm not proud to say I found a less orthodox route. We moved here to be closer, and then the, uh, treatment didn't work, so they're gone. Kira bit her lip. I'm so sorry for your loss. The next silence was more somber. Sam felt like she should lighten the mood, but didn't know what to say. Something like that happened to my brother. Oh, said Sam, oh. Sorry for your loss. The words fell flat in her mouth. Actually, Kira clarified, measuring her tone. The exact same thing happened to my brother. That sentence rang in Sam's head like a bell. Pardon? When I was younger, Kira explained, it happened. We were bitten. We were left in a room until we had our senses properly taken from us. And then we were set on each other. Sam's mouth fell open. Kira pressed on. That's why you came here, isn't it? 
The change is a two-step process. You must be eaten, but you must also eat. They say it works better if you catch the hair of the dog that bit you, as it were. And as quickly as possible, but any of us, or even an infected, will do. Someone offered help, gave you some hope. Had someone they wanted to change. A risk, not guaranteed, with compensation if it went in their favour and not yours. I... I haven't seen Agatha around in a while, so I'm guessing it was Dorothy, right? Sam stood up, her eyes wide. She backed away. You! Hold on, wait. I'm sorry. I know I have this habit of talking too quickly and sticking my foot in it. I'm not going to hurt you. Sam did not sit back down. I suspected that Dorothy would be looking for someone to change Agatha when she became an adult. When you moved in, I'll admit I was suspicious. This place... Let's just say that, though not everyone is like us, Dorothy and I fit right in. You seemed so unremarkable that I thought you were for her, but Agatha was still young then. I should have known Dorothy planned ahead. She probably made you do dirty work in the meantime, right? To pay off the house? You probably brought them dinner. A fly landed on the stake in front of Kira. Sam stared at it. She couldn't bear to look into those eyes, still warm and inviting, understanding and sweet. The eyes of the person who knew she was a killer. Kira relaxed a bit, now that it seemed Sam was not about to run away. I don't blame you for this. I don't blame anyone for this. You were exploited, not just by Dorothy, by the way things are run. Our community has accepted a way of creating and feeding that is reprehensibly outdated. There has to be a better way. There is a better way. I'm not here to hurt you. I need your help. The fly rubbed its legs together and buzzed away. Kira stood and walked towards Sam, holding out an arm in an uncertain kind of gesture, wanting to close the space between them. What happened really sucked. Sam groaned and Kira laughed. Sorry about the pun, but I mean it. Sincerely, it doesn't have to be like this. We can keep this from happening. We don't have to keep losing our loved ones. I can't bring Dale back, but there are hundreds of Dales running around right now and they need us too. Sam reached out, hesitantly, and touched Kira on the shoulder. Kira hugged her. And, in Kira's arms, it began to dawn on Sam that someone might have been listening. Well, isn't that interesting? Neighborly is distributed under a Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike 4.0 international license. Today's house was written and edited by Matthew O.K. Smith, with music by Alex Schwartz and art by Cloudy Appelard. The narrator is voiced by Matthew O.K. Smith. To find out more, visit neighborlypod.card.co or follow us on social media at neighborlypod. If you enjoyed listening today, information on how you can support us will be included in the episode description. But most of all, we would appreciate it if you told a friend. Because they might tell a friend, and they might tell a friend, and who knows? Eventually, God might finally listen to us. Today's favorite word is susurration, meaning whispering or murmuring. For example, I can hear the susurration of your blood purring through your veins. What a lovely word it is. 
Thanks for listening. Come back soon. This is the audio log of Dr. Ashes Tanner. Captain's log. This is Madison Gui. This is Dr. Malpolicious reporting. Right. This is the audio log of Kepler. This is Amaya Suzuki. This is Rory Black. This is Faye Patel. This is Dr. Lucian Franklin speaking. We are scheduled to arrive at Pluto on time. Head of Medical and Scientific Officers. And now that you're here, it's your problem. Do we even have clones? Did you not read the manifest? I might have been wrong. Two can play this game. I didn't realize how attached I got. What's going on? Everything is going well. No one suspects anything so far. I think I fucked up bad this time. If I'd noticed, maybe I could have told someone. Everything I've done up here has been for nothing. I can be that listening here. They should have told us. It can't be that hard. Right? End log. End log. End log. End log. The Hades Project premieres June 23rd wherever you can find podcasts. For more information, check out our Twitter at HadesProjectPod.